I'm Sammy Kayula, and this is After the Assault, a podcast about sexual assault survivors and their paths to justice and healing. This is Episode 6, Guide to Being an Ally. Just to warn you, we're going to talk about sexual violence in this episode and the mental health challenges that can occur in its aftermath. Last episode, we described what it's like to live with the trauma of sexual assault. This time, we're going to hear from people with a different perspective, survivors' friends, spouses, and family. I wish that there was, like, not a handbook, but, like, the do's and don'ts of what what happens. If somebody comes to you and says that they've been, you know, sexually assaulted, what's the first thing you should do? Like, how to keep them safe, you know, where how to, you know, advocate for them, where, what they should be doing. If someone comes to you after they've been assaulted, you might feel at a loss about what to do. We're gonna talk about ways that you can give support to someone who's experienced this. And you'll hear from survivors about what loved ones did that helped and what made it worse in the immediate aftermath and in the months and years that followed. This is Monica. She asked that we identify her by her first name only. It's nice when you can have other people be there for you, not ones that necessarily who have been raped to know and be there for you, but the ones that are willing to learn and get the education and other friends, you know, other um, relationships, all the ships, friendships, everything that you're going to have in your life in the future, just education and, and that care. You probably know someone who's experienced sexual violence. One in five U.S. women are victims of completed or attempted rape. And this affects people all over the gender and sexual orientation spectrums. I asked survivors what they want people to understand about sexual assault. I don't think they get that they can approach you or talk to you about it or, I don't know, offer a hug or... I just feel like so many people are afraid. You know, even if you don't say the right thing, if at least you try to say something or try to make some kind of overture, that really means a lot. When you tell your mother, when you tell your sister, um, when you tell your father, it's hard for them to hear that because they don't want to have believed, think that that has happened to you. This is After the Assault, Episode 6, Guide to Being an Ally. Before I started making this podcast, I definitely wouldn't have known how to react to this situation. If you listened to Episode 1, you might remember Allison Jones Lockwood from End Violence Against Women International. She talked about these three things that you should say to someone if they disclose an assault to you. I'm going to have her repeat it here because I think it's really important. The first is, I'm sorry this happened to you. The second thing is, how can I help you? And the third is, I believe you. We know that those three things are the most important thing that the survivor needs to hear. Because a lot of times, loved ones want to fix the problem. They want to solve it. They want to take all the pain away or they want to take over almost so that the survivor doesn't have to worry. But we need to have the survivor drive the process. That's an idea that I've heard a lot while I've been working on this series. Let survivors be in control. 
they may not be looking for somebody to tell them what to do. They didn't choose what happened to them. They didn't want what happened to them. Mandy Mount is a psychologist who works with assault survivors at the University of California, Irvine. And so given that, one of the most healing things we can do is give them power back to decide how to move forward with that experience. A lot of times people have beliefs about what somebody should do, what the right thing or the wrong thing is to do. And it is so powerful to recognize a survivor's ability to determine what is best for them and support them on that journey, whatever that may look like. Survivors told me that loved ones should just try to be patient and not set expectations. Respecting my own timeline. Mm -hmm. Respecting my own timeline of how I need to heal and not pushing me to do things that they think is good for me. You know, people were, a lot of them were looking at me like, you're still feeling this way? And it's, it's in so many ways, which also has been said to me is when someone says, get over it, or it happened a year ago. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair. And just respecting your timeline and honoring yourself, however long it takes you to heal, that's your time. So, like, this kind of assumption that people have, like, you're dragging this on unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And you feel even more guilt and you feel right. even more unwanted. And somehow so you, you feel don't... like you're a, you're a thorn in, in somebody's shoe. Exactly. It's supposed to be your, your friend or mm-hmm. ally or family. So you don't, we don't want to talk about it. You just heard a few survivors talking to each other in the CAP Radio studio. I interviewed more than a dozen survivors for this project, but eight of them were part of this core group that helped us shape this work. We'll refer to them as the survivor cohort. We met with them monthly. Sometimes we recorded the conversations and sometimes we just talked. The cohort members are all at different stages of their healing and they all had different experiences when they told friends and family what happened. I wanted to hear about what that was like and how it's affected their relationships. So I asked the cohort members if they would interview their own loved ones. I gave them some sample questions, but I also said that they should just let the conversation go wherever it goes. Erin Price Dixon wanted to talk to her friend, Aaliyah Ireland. Okay, so I'm Erin Price Dixon, and I am sitting here with Aaliyah, who is my best friend. We're in my living room on the couch after our work day. Erin says Aaliyah was the one she turned to after her 2018 assault. Here's some of their conversation about that night. When I think back to it, it's like it starts me like driving in my car and I'm like realize what actually happened to me and like just being like hysterically crying and talking to you. And I just remember you telling me like, okay, you don't need to be by yourself, like go home, shower and you need to come over here. And that's what I remember about um, like when I told you that night. It was morning. It was very early in the morning, yes. It was like the sun, I think, just, it like literally just like (laughs) came through the sky. Mm -hmm. Like it literally was like, what, three or four in the morning or something like that. It was dumbass early. Yeah. Erin says Aaliyah didn't ask her about the incident, not at first. She started by just taking care of her. And she just was like, okay, um, do you want something to eat? So when Erin woke up, Aaliyah persuaded her to call the police even though Aaron didn't want to at first. 
That's important, and we're going to get back to it. But first, here's how Aaliyah was feeling on the night that Aaron told her about the assault. Um, was it hard to respond to what I told you and why? Yeah. Or, or, or not and why? Well, naturally, like, yes, it's hard to hear that someone that you love, someone that you care about has been harmed in that fashion. So, yes, I it was hard. It was hard to hear it again. I was extremely confused. And I think like, you know, to hear something of that, like there's a certain level of digestion that has to happen in a very short amount of time, because at that point, it's not just the person who it happened to story at this point. You're you automatically become a part of that story. Like because you were you're being told this type of information. So I felt like a certain level of responsibility to help you. I didn't know if I was going to be equipped to do it. What actions did you take to try to help me? And also, did you feel they worked? I don't know if anything that I did worked, to be honest with you. I am not the guru or, you know, knows knows of everything when it comes to, you know, trauma and things like that. I feel like we all have our trauma. I feel like the one thing that I did was, like, hold you accountable. I feel like I don't think... And I, this is going to probably sound like so douchey, but I don't feel like I coddled you in any type of way. I feel like I kept it real with you the whole time. Obviously not trying to hurt your feelings in any type of way, but like kind of showing you like it's okay to be sad, but it's also okay to be tough, like tough and sad. Like, yeah, you're pissed right now, but like, so what are you going to do about it? Like, you know, like you need to show yourself and prove to yourself that you don't have to just be sad about something. So I feel like if anything, I was kind of like, you know, that person in the ring with you that is like sitting in your corner talking shit to you in your ear like, hey, you know, let that motherfucker sit there and do that shit to you. Like I was that person and making you spit in the bucket and get your ass back out there and do what you have to do, because I know that you deserve more and you should know that you are worthy. So, yeah, I was your hype man maybe your raggedy hype man. And I do apologize if that did bring you some sort of discomfort sometimes and you really just needed a hug. Aaliyah was the one who convinced Aaron to go to the Sacramento Police Department, though her case was ultimately suspended and an arrest was never made. Lots of survivors don't report their crimes. About three quarters of rape in the U.S. go unreported. So if you're the one trying to help a survivor figure out what to do, Try to remember that not everybody's healing involves going to law enforcement. If you are helping someone figure out the legal reporting process, we've got a guide for that online at capradio.org after. Erin says the tough love from Aaliyah did help her get to a healthier headspace. She says Aaliyah got her back into yoga and taught her other tips for self-care that she still uses. But Erin says she still struggles. She's moodier than she used to be, and Aaliyah is pretty good at sensing that. It's still really, really uh, hot and cold with me. I mean, yes, I've grown a lot. Um, so I don't know. I guess in the, when I'm in that space, though, I'm usually by myself, and I like appreciate that space, and I kind of just work through it. 
Um, or I try to like, I feel like now I feel like sometimes you still sense like changes in my mood. I don't know. I just enjoy our time together. Um, I wish we would go hiking more. That would be nice. I wish we could go like hang out and do like other things versus staying in the house. I do enjoy hanging out and watching movies and stuff like that is a plus because I also don't feel like sometimes it's like, uh, do I want to get up in the morning to go hiking? But I do miss like the outdoor activities and I don't, and it sucks. And I know for you, it sucks because I don't like doing that with other people, which is my problem. Like I don't like hanging out with other people. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. No, I'm just kidding. Outside of the house, like I enjoy that space more around you because I just feel like I can be myself. And if I do get in a quiet space, you're not going to think like I'm, you know, ruining the mood. Or like, if you know, like if you get in a quiet space, I feel like we could just sit and be a lot of times. So navigating friendship after an assault requires a lot of communication. If you're a friend to an assault survivor, you may want to check in with them about their needs and there might be some compromises you'll have to make. In episode five, we talked about all the symptoms of rape trauma syndrome, mood swings, memory loss, social anxiety. Understanding the effect that trauma has might help you be a better ally. So if you missed it, go back and give it a listen. A lot of the survivors I interviewed said that being assaulted changed their social habits. Like Erin said, their moods can be up and down, they may not want to do all the things that they used to enjoy doing. You should, you know, probably disclaim to your friends, like, hey, I am I might change my mind. I don't want you to take it personally, but, like, maybe I just don't feel like it that day or I, I was triggered earlier or whatever. Like, we talked about Harvey Weinstein being in the media, and literally I turn on Facebook today, and first thing, his face again, and I'm like, well, guess I'm staying off the Internet today, you know. And it affects your whole life in every way. So just be sensitive to people and their healing process. It's not always the same. That's what I think. And I think especially in the beginning, it's it feels like we're all trying to figure out who we are again. Or like so to have people coming in that know you as a certain person that you don't feel like you are anymore. It's very difficult to even want to be faced with that. That's been my experience, which is why I feel like I've isolated from a lot of people or I had friends for the first couple months that, you know, come out, let me come over, let, let's do this, let's do that. And I wasn't interested because I was trying to like just process what had happened to me. And now maybe a year later, I'm ready for them to start coming around or, you know, being more supportive. But I think they've maybe taken it personally because I haven't been as responsive to their invites, you know, in the past. I'm trying to imagine what it's like to be invited to a bar when that could have been the potential, you know, precursor to the assault. It's like, you guys don't even understand just being in a bar, the smells, you know, like every sensation, even just drinking alcohol, for example, can trigger you and understanding the triggers and not, you know, requiring an explanation. Just like, I'm sorry, and I don't feel like it and not feeling bad about it.
So we've heard about what friends can do to be better allies to survivors. Be patient, don't give unsolicited advice, and don't expect them to want to engage in all the social activities that they used to like. Be aware that they are in this long process of healing, and cut them a little slack if they act differently or turn down plans. But what about sex and dating for sexual assault survivors? The survivors I worked with were all at varying stages of readiness when it came to intimacy. When I invited them to ask each other questions in the recording studio, it's one of the very first things they brought up. This is Monica. She asked that we only use her first name, talking to Maddie Bernal. One of the things I need in my life to feel complete and with purpose is knowing if I will ever be able to to love again and, you know, have a relationship. And I already do when I have dated. I, I am different. I, I can be more guarded or, you know, get triggered. And, I'm you know, I want to learn, like, I guess someone asked specifically to you, like, you just got married, congratulations. Thank and you. a part of learning, or if I know, or learning to love again and knowing, like, that I could have a partner that could love me as I am who I am. Like. For me, I had a lot of difficulty identifying the things that I'm doing within my relationship that are directly related to my trauma and it you know a couple different things so I'm it's difficult to identify sometimes okay like it's this trauma from this thing that made me behave this way but um, it is possible it just means having to be extremely honest and vulnerable with the person. Um, my husband, George, he has done a lot of research and like, he, he's talked to some of his family members who have been through trauma and he's talked to me in depth and he's talked to counselors in depth to try and understand what I'm going through. And through trial and error, we've figured out different ways to not prevent my triggers or my episodes, but ways that we can cope with it together together not just me figuring out how am I going to deal with it at this time because he's there with me he has to deal with it too that's beautiful congratulations again it's like he's there you know he's also your ally very much so very much so and he's been a huge huge part of my healing Mm -hmm. and having that that comfort of knowing okay this person's always going to believe me and that he's always going to respect when I tell him to stop doing something. That's awesome. Thanks for asking that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because with the triggers that I get, like, I can't even handle myself sometimes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I want to be honest with who I am now. Oh. 
girl, I have punched George before. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, There have been times where yeah. I've just gotten triggered and I've I've punched him. I've pushed him off of me. I've turned around and darn near elbowed him. I mean, there's so many things that I have done. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. It's, it's rough, but it's doable. Yeah. So Maddie and her husband have learned to communicate about what triggers her, and they've got ways of handling her trauma. But the aftermath of an assault can put a serious strain on relationships, and it can be hard for two people to figure out how to move forward. I want you to meet survivor Annie Walker. She did an interview with her husband, Alvin Gittis Ravungal. Okay, this is Annie and Alvin. It's Tuesday night, 8.30. We're sitting here in our kitchen, <laughs> leaving the dogs outside. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to have a conversation. Yes, we are. Annie says that after her assault, she couldn't remember exactly what happened. She'd been drinking, and the details were fuzzy. That's pretty common for trauma survivors. She says the details came back to her in the days and weeks that followed, and Alvin wasn't sure how to interpret that. It was almost a week later when you told me that you were assaulted, a week after the incident. I remember we were in a parking lot. We hadn't been talking for a while, or not in any meaningful way. You know, I had initially had thoughts that maybe something else happened, you know. Um, But when you did tell me, I believed you that you were assaulted. I, at that point, even though I believed you, I still had thoughts in my mind like maybe you brought this on some way. What, what was happening beforehand? And I, it was hard to get past that initially. Wait, that's interesting because you didn't, you didn't make me feel like you believed me. You made me feel like you were very uncertain. I no, I believe you were assaulted, and and that's why I recall insisting you need to call the, oh, right. the law enforcement. Right. I insisted. Mm-hmm. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't have insisted you'd call law enforcement. But like I said, I maybe what you sensed from me was initially the frustration or anger or thought that you may have, like I said, and even saying it now makes me feel bad about it, brought it on. Um... Because of the drinking. Because, because I had of, drinks. Because of the drinking, but also, you know, I mean, you're not able to recall immediately. You thought there was making out, and I just assumed that it was voluntary and things got out of hand. Um, and then it's just from there, it, it was about learning After talking more to Annie and a lot of reading on sexual assault, Alvin says he eventually came around to understanding what happened, that it wasn't her fault, and that it's common for survivors to not remember everything. 
but he had to do a lot of work to get there, including seeking counseling from Weave, Sacramento's Rape Crisis Center. Knowing everything that you know now, what advice would you give, could you give others if they, if your friend came up to you and was like, hey, my girlfriend or my wife, this happened to her? I, I don't know. Go and seek help yourself. Try to understand what she's going through, but also talk with somebody through your emotions at the time and your fear. Because, you know, that, I think that, that's important. And I did it for a while, definitely would weave, and it, that, that did help me. You know, I had my own personal issues at the time, too, mm-hmm. um, unrelated to this. And it helped, it helped me take a step back and pause. And so I would say, go, go talk to somebody, for sure. Seek counseling, help, and guidance of how to be there for somebody and how to be there for yourself. Being a good ally takes work. It takes patience. It takes learning. And Allison Jones Lockwood with End Violence Against Women International says it can also take a mental health toll. We think of them as kind of a secondary victim. So they're, they could be immersed in that survivor's trauma. So hearing about it, helping them with it, helping them cope, helping them access resources. So it's important for our supporters to also be aware of the resources that are available to them when they need to reach out for support. So counseling, crisis lines, thinking of some of the same resources that that very survivor might be using can also benefit that secondary survivor. If you wanna be a better ally to a survivor in your life, start by getting informed. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already on the right track. We've got lots of resources that can help you at capradio.org after. But most of all, survivors say just being there and listening without judgment can be a huge help in the healing process. This is Laura Bruce and a survivor we're calling Penny. We've altered her voice and omitted her full name for safety reasons. Some good ways that I appreciated um, just friends coming over and just sitting with me. And, you know, not even me having to talk about it, but just having somebody physically present to sit there and help me take my mind off it, just watching movies and hanging out at home, being in a safe place, being with me in my safe place. That made me feel good. One day, I really needed to come, have someone come and be with me, and I couldn't get anyone to come and be with me. And so my boss drove from Woodland to come sit with me on my couch while I cried. Next episode, we'll look at what it would take to prevent sexual assaults from happening in the first place, including what's being done on the state and local levels to make change. It's important to Um, start talking about these issues as early as possible in an age-appropriate way. And that means, you know, talking about consent in kindergarten. And, you know, we're not talking about consent in terms of sexual activity in kindergarten, but we are talking about respecting boundaries and um, learning to ask permission, talking about bodily autonomy and respect for one another. 
And it's important because it sets the foundation for those later conversations um, and talking about specifically um, sexual assault, teen dating violence, and sex trafficking. My name is Marcy Bridgeford, and I'm the Director of Community Response at WEAVE, Sacramento County's Rape Crisis Center. We support survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and sex trafficking. We have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support and information line you can call at any time at 916-920-2952. You may also reach out to us via our message boards or chat features on our website at weaveinc.org. After the Assault is a production of CAP Radio in Sacramento, California. Emily Zentner is our data reporter. Catherine Stifter is our podcast editor. Sally Schilling designed the sound. Mark Jones is our audio engineer. Jessica Maria Ross directed the project in collaboration with Nick Miller, CAP Radio's managing news editor. Joe Barr is our chief content officer. Music is by Jay Urban, audio chords from Pond5, Imperial Glow, and Anchor. We want to hear from you. Go to capradio.org slash feedback to tell us what you think about what you heard in this podcast. We welcome your comments and your questions. Visit capradio.org slash feedback. We'd like to thank Annie, Aurora, Erin, Jessa, Maddie, Monica, Laura, and Penny for helping us shape this project. Thanks also to Sacramento's Sexual Assault Response Team and area advocacy groups for their ongoing consultation and participation. After the Assault was produced with support from the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism's Impact Fund. I'm Sammy Kayola. Thanks for listening to After the Assault. After the Assault.